When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. listening to the we are west ham podcast with me will pew tom edwards and james jones and i've only just stopped feeling sick after the last 15 minutes of that phenomenal win over tottenham on sunday but to a man what a performance and if that billy bonds imagery of that heroic czech son of a gun with blood pouring down his face didn't move you then nothing ever will thomas suchek and Vladimir Soufal played like Warriors. Both got some big knocks, but got up and ploughed on Jesse Lingard's goals. A thing of beauty and the band celebration afterwards hit the right note for me. There is nothing like beating Tottenham and to go forth with the victory too. Well, James, how are you? Uh, Champions League dead certs, aren't we? I'm absolutely buzzing still, if I'm honest, mate. Um, yeah, definitely been playing the Champions League theme tune over and over again um in you know in just in anticipation of next year and and then obviously coupled with Boris's announcement that fans will be back um potentially by by the last game of the season so we might have a bit of a celebration there but if not there's there's real hope that we could be back in stadiums to to see us walk out to that wonderful music next season so yeah absolutely buzzing yeah, absolutely, mate. Brilliant. Yeah, that uh, did lift the nation somewhat, didn't it? As if beating Tottenham wasn't enough. The fact we might actually be able to go and watch our team again, although that could be the bit that brings it all crashing down, couldn't it? <laughs> as soon yeah, as fans... It needs to be needs to be nailed on before that game, just in case. Absolutely, yeah. We have to beat Southampton at home in the last game of the season. Five minutes in, someone, Thomas Suchek, puts a, puts a pass slightly over here and out for a goal kick and there's 60,000 people on his back slagging him off saying oh you're rubbish what a waste of money get out of our club confidence is destroyed and then we're going to lose 3-1 to uh to Southampton but Tom uh it's very very good stuff um brilliant chat with uh Tony Cotty coming up later in the show man he scored against Tottenham on his debut but there to go forth as well as beating Tottenham you know sometimes beating Spurs Tom can just feel like the highlight of a season, can't it? The only good thing to happen in an otherwise drab mid-table or relegation threatened season. But I don't know. It it felt a bit, there's just something so much better about it, knowing that, yeah, we've beaten Tottenham, which is brilliant because we we love beating Tottenham. But as well, the fact that we actually moved us into a Champions League spot when we level on games with all those teams around us, just gave it that extra edge for me. Same feelings for you? Yeah, exactly, mate. I remember, well, we've had some brilliant wins against them, the ones in the League Cup and all them, but ultimately they've amounted <clears throat> for nothing for us. And and yeah, it's curtailed their season a bit and derailed a few of their title bits, but it, we haven't ever had that moment where it's something on the line for us apart from the rivalry for a long time now. And to play that game 
to go nine points clear of them, I think it is, and to be the team pushing for Champions League when they were talked about as title contenders 10 games in. Saw the graphic <laughs> from that. We weren't even in the top half. And now, and now look at it. And, and Mourinho coming out beforehand and saying that, look, come the end of the season, West Ham will be in their rightful place and we'll be above them. They don't have to play a certain amount of games, X, Y, Z. And I think all, all we did is show up and prove that it's a proper, proper football team we now got there. And David Moyes and all of them are believing that we can go toe-to-toe and we will. So to come out, not only beat the rivals, not only beat Mourinho, but to go in the Champions League spot and capitalise on the teams around us dropping points showed a proper mentality and want to get behind. Yeah, absolutely. There is every chance that could be the peak of uh, of West Ham sort of football in memories. That is probably, you know, the, the, but it, it really is, isn't it? Since we've been at the London yeah. Stadium or whatever, that is that's it's the very peak of, of we've never been in such a good position after so many games in a season since we've been at the London Stadium. So it's, it's fair to say that this is or that of the weekend when the final whistle blew is our best moment for five years or whatever. So it's thrilling stuff. Just quickly, lads, before we move on, do the housekeeping, let everyone know what's coming up on the show. I just want to get your thoughts. Just a bit of a quick fire one. Jonesy, we'll go to you first. What was better feeling? That one on Sunday or after the earlier in the season when Lanzini pings it in the top corner uh, to grab a three-all draw at the Tottenham Stadium? It's a, it's a tough one. I'm still going to stick with Lanzini. I know, obviously, winning winning at the weekend meant we went fourth and it, it basically just ruined Spurs' even sort of very faint hopes of getting back in it. Um, but having been 3-0 down with what eight minutes to go and then to equalise with a goal like that in their own backyard um, when they thought they had the game wrapped up what eight minutes earlier um, nothing beats that nothing. yeah I, uh, I'm i sort of inclined to agree those moments I think we said it on the podcast afterwards that is what those moments are what football is about and it's um, the same feelings for you or uh, do you think that the, the actually getting a win and going into the Champions League trumps that i have to go lanzini as well just because i think it will stand the test of time no matter what we do this season maybe we'll look back in it in a few months and say that spurs win was absolutely massive but no matter what happens this season that moment will be something we talk about for 30 40 years that high was one of the most euphoric moments in a long time as a west ham fan so i have to give it to manu yeah, absolutely. That will stand out, won't it? Well, look, a bit of housekeeping before we crack on with the show properly. It's going to be another buoyant one from me and the lads tonight. We're getting a bit used to these now, James, aren't we? Um, but yeah, follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. The link to our channel is in the podcast description below. So click on the podcast you're on, whatever platform, just scroll down to the description. You'll find the link to our YouTube channel. We'll have an extended uh, video version of our interview with Tony Cotty, which is on tonight's podcast. So don't worry about that. But if you want to watch that in full, the extended version will be going up on YouTube. Uh, follow us on uh, Instagram as well. We have got Instagram as well. And of course, do give us a review on your chosen podcast platform. Uh, subscribe to the pod if you don't already. If you're a new listener, make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a review, five stars, some nice words. Um, yeah, 
What's coming up on the show, James? It's absolutely packed one tonight. We'll have some Spurs reaction. Alex Milner, our position view last week from the Daily Mirror, was exactly right with his prediction about a scrappy 2-1 win. It was a fantastic start. Both the checks were brilliant. I spent the last 15 minutes with my knees clasped up to my chest and I let out a weird little screamy yelp thing when Kufal hit it into Sun's shins and it hit the post. We had a little nice little FaceTime after the game, didn't we? Sharing in each other's joy. So we'll talk about all that. Then, of course, as I mentioned, me and Tom were lucky enough to chat to Tony Cotty after that Spurs game. So we have the full extended interview with him. He's got a Q&A with a virtual Q&A with Frank McAvenny on Friday night that uh, he's talking about that as well. And fans and listeners of the We Are West Ham podcast can buy tickets to that if they want to with proceeds going to the Bobby Moore Fund. So that's great stuff from Tony. Part three, we'll have the Betway charity bets. Tom, you were so close to winning yours against Tottenham, but no cigar for any of us. Me and James were a little bit further out. We'll have our Man City bets, of course. The opposition view with Steve Tudor is returning to talk about West Ham's trip to the Etihad Stadium Saturday lunchtime. Huge game that is and whether or not we'll find out from Steve whether he expects us to get our usual hiding as we do against an informed city I am Quizmaster for name that game this week belter of a game coming up and we'll wrap up with the West Ham women's segment just a brief one this week has no game since that defeat to Brighton but there is Chelsea at home on Sunday which looks a little bit ominous for the girls as well then of course we'll say goodbye get some final thoughts from the lads, a brief fantasy Premier League update, and we will say goodbye for another week. So, loads to fit in, boys. But, James, I, I, I've developed this habit recently. Uh, there's absolutely loads to speak about from Tottenham, but I'm just going to throw to you first, and you pick the first thing that you want to talk about about that wonderful, wonderful Tottenham game. You thought you briefly touched on it, mate. Um, I, don't, I think Tom may have touched on it as well. So... The mentality um, throughout, uh, we knew we were Tottenham were going to control large parts of that game. Um, and any, I, mean, I, I feel like we say it every week, but West Ham of old would have crumbled and, and, and lost that 4-2, 5-2 probably. Um, we've done it in the past. Um, or they would have nicked a, a last-minute equaliser. They wouldn't have, that, that ricochet off some would have ended up going in the back of the net or you know, Bale's effort would, would have hit the underside of the bar and gone in like Lanzini's did at their place. And just the mentality to, to go one new up after five minutes, then to get that second goal at the beginning of the second half um, and then just to, to stay resilient and defend um, and, you know, and still cause some problems, particularly in the first half, it caused them, you know, it wasn't just that one effort. You know, we did have our opportunities. Um, and it's, if there was a game that purely summed up how far we've come from the David Moyes and what David Moyes has done to the players' mentality, I think it's that. I just, um, I keep thinking about it and just think that what we saw at the weekend isn't the West Ham we used to. It's the West Ham we used to this season because it has been, a, you know, pretty, pretty consistent. But we're so used to West Ham losing those games, even at 2-1. We've never, we've never been safe at 2-1. Um, so, yeah, for me, that's the big one. And I think Lingard has got has had a big role to play with that since he's come in in January because he's brought in that, you know, that experience he's had at a, a club that's won, he's won trophies at, um, a club that's built on on winning, um, a winning mentality. Um, I'm not going to say big team mentality. Um, 
a winning mentality um and yeah, i think bringing in someone i know we questioned uh jesse lingard but he's coming he's, he's almost solidified that he's um he's helped grow that even further in the dressing room and you can see like he tweeted the other day saying it was like family already and um he's only been in the club for what a month <laughs> so um, and that just shows uh, just everything seems to be going right. Everything went right, um, apart from receiving the corner from the near post, the, the smallest, uh, the smallest <laughs> player on the pitch or the header, smallest man uh, ever. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, um, everything went right. Everything's going right, and um, it's just it's just all so wonderful. And I haven't stopped giving since. <laughs> yeah, we did, didn't we? I uh, so after the uh, after the game, me and James were were texting each other. And um, Tommy, you were surprisingly quiet. I think I saw a couple of tweets. I was expecting a little 10 pint uh, barrel. Move my hands, mate. I'm shaking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was it. So uh, me and James were, yeah. uh, were texting each other. Uh, Tom was nowhere to be seen. So I, I gave James a little FaceTime. He was sat out on his balcony up there in uh, in Boreham Wood. And uh, we're just chatting. And all we did at first for the first 30 seconds of the call was just giggle at each other. Don't think we said any words, did we? No, no. <laughs> just, just could not uh, <laughs> could not believe it. It was wonderful stuff. James, you mentioned it there. You said uh, when your luck's in um, or, you know, the things just went for us. And I think that what you can see at the moment, obviously the feel-good factor is great. The confidence is good. But just one of those things that's immeasurable in football that if you could bottle and sell would be worth absolutely millions and millions of pounds is that it is just when your luck's in like West Ham's is at the moment, it's really in. And when it isn't like Tottenham's, it really isn't. I mean, that one with the post at the end, as it was as it was like looping over the keeper, I just had, you know, that knot of like permanent like frustration with West Ham that even now it just doesn't properly go away, like, even though yeah. you're just waiting for it to come back. And that as it was looping over the keeper, it was all in slow motion. And I was already, I'd already said, Fuck, for God's sake, this is exactly the sort of thing. I hate West Ham, so frustrating. Oh my God, why do I do it? <laughs> it was already halfway out my mouth as it was looping over. I was just like, so unfair, so unlucky. And then seeing it hit the post, we've had a few of them this season, haven't we? Where, and like you said, James, broken record stuff. But you think, well, that doesn't happen normally. We don't normally do that. What, what's, and when Bale hits the bar and Declan Rice gets and yeah. gets that blocking when like it was a dead cert goal, wasn't it? Any other time. It's, it's just it, like it, it's even that that just that build up to when Bale hit the bar, when um Kane found himself clear. And he had Son and Deli in the field. Yeah. It was it was it was three three yeah, of them right running at Fabianski. Any other time, Kane plays that ball earlier than he does, and Son or Ali gets a tap in, but he delays it for whatever reason, allows Declan Rice to get in and, and make the block. Um, and you know that was another bit of luck because you know Harry Kane, world class striker, makes that pass nine times out of ten at exactly the right time to, in order to get the assist. Um, for some reason he didn't do it and again that was our luck and then obviously straight after that Bow hits the bar um, so yeah it, just everything went for us apart yeah. from Lucas Moura scoring the only header he'll ever score in his life <laughs> yeah, yeah I know yeah four foot Moura rising from the, the abyss Tom you talk to me What's uh, what were your main sort of takeaways from it afterwards are there any bits that stuck out in your mind or that you just you feel like you want to get off your chest and talk about uh, tonight because this is the forum 
There's uh, two things. I'll start with what I mentioned it then and um, what Lingard's brought to us. And I personally want to talk about, I think he's got that unique ability to make everyone around him better. He's got the confidence to get on it in tight spaces. He's good enough to wriggle out of them dribble. He's a ball carrier. He's quick. He presses from the front better than anyone we've seen for a while. We thought Bowen was good at it. The amount of ground that boy covers like in sprints is pretty crazy. And he sets the tone up there. And I think he just feels free. We saw at the World Cup, he was one of the main reasons we did so much damage to teams on the break and everything because of his running and his intelligence off the ball. And he had lost that, and he had, but he's come here and he's found his feet. And I think we've got a seriously, seriously good player. Like He's making a lot of difference. I think the three or four games he's been here have been three or four of our best performances going forward and the most dangerous we've looked, even the Sheffield United one. So I think getting him in and actually this out of him is, is a story that I think most Premier League fans are quite enjoying because he's a likeable guy and he, he deserves this run of form. So that's one. That's my first one. And the second one is, you you again mentioned it, is the Suchek and Sufal thing. When Sufal gets that knock and Suchek sprints in and gives him uh, <laughs> checks on him and everything, all that. Like, yeah, I just love him. I just absolutely love that bloke. And that's the other one, mate. Yeah, it is. It was that was funny, wasn't it? When he's just sprinting over, like, and then you can hear. I think West Ham released um, the the video today with like the audio from the the pitch audio ramped up, and you can just hear. I think it's Cresswell yeah. going, "Tom, he's all right." No, he's what's he scouse? And he that was terrible. <laughs> he's all right, Tom. He's all right. Apparently, I can't do scouse accents. I don't know if anyone else wants to have a go. But yeah, you can just hear uh, hear Cresswell saying, "Tom, he's all right. Calm down." Like, <laughs> what are you doing? That, that was that was a better that was a better scouse attempt than the previous one. I <laughs> know that was yeah. a shambles, weren't it? Yeah, right, me. No, yeah, I could do scouse. I think just sounds nothing like Aaron Cresswell. I'll work on that afterwards. Uh, I'll be improved for next week. I promise. But Lingard, honestly. I just can't believe how good he's been. I mean, absolutely fair player. I remember saying in the podcast before his first game, uh, you know, we weren't pretty, we weren't particularly damning about him. Um, I was positive. Yeah, I would, uh, uh, all right. <laughs> but I think it's just because he's a, he's a he's a five foot eight attacking midfield player who likes a few step overs like Ben Rama. That is very much your type, isn't it? Get him in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. get him in the bag, mate. That's yeah. it. They can do a step over and they've got wrong foot. Yeah, exactly. They're they're a Tom Edwards type of player. But I just I remember saying before, and you know, I was like, you know, you've signed Lingard, whoopee. I think a it's proof that David Moyes knows more than uh, most football fans, including me. Uh, about what's right for the team and what isn't and what players are going to be good and what aren't. Um, but I do think as well, it's not uh, for any fans who doubted it before, all these people coming out now going, oh, if you doubted Lingard, you're a clown or whatever. I think it's totally understandable to have doubted him before, isn't it? And I'm not just saying that because I doubted it slightly, but he hadn't got a sniff at Man United for God knows how long. I know Fernandez is good. There's nothing suggesting that he was he had this sort of form in his locker. I thought it was at least going to take him a few weeks to to get back up with the pace of it. But he looks he's easily one of our sort of best players. A Fulham game he was quiet, but everyone was a bit off. But James, what what do you put that down to? Because you know, really, for someone to hit the ground running so well, it is quite surprising, wouldn't you say? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I. I'm like you. Yeah, I wasn't. I was expecting him to make some kind of some kind of impact eventually. Um, I, I think we were all surprised when he just walked straight into the starting eleven, given the options we already had, like Lanzini and stuff like that. But I, I, I suppose I'm not surprised that he's having now 
going straight into starting eleven that he kind of took his took his opportunity. Um, he's he's clearly trying to play for a place in the England squad in the summer. Um, you know, I know Sky Sports were pretty much writing him off with that opportunity in the build up to the game at the weekend when they were asked. Um, they all just went, nah, no chance. He's twenty eight. He's got no chance. But he's he's key. He thinks he's got an opportunity. He's definitely playing like that, and you know that will be in the back of his mind. And he wants to prove to Man United that he's still got it. Um, because you know he's he's a Manchester boy, and you know it probably hurts him the fact that he's had to go out on loan to try and prove himself away from his boyhood club. So he's he's got a lot to prove, um, both at club and international level. So I'm not surprised that he's he's playing with the freedom that he has, but um, surprised at how quick he's done it. Given that you know we all expect him to be a bench player for at least the first two or three games. Tom didn't apparently. <laughs> I did. I, no, no, I, I think if you remember correctly and see the tweets, I said he'd be a properly good addition. I think he would eventually get in the side. I didn't think he'd start that first game, but, and I'm obviously, I didn't expect him to score three and four, but he's a good player and he always has been. Had you, did you write that tweet in all capitals with about 50 exclamation marks in it? If so, then I think I might have seen it. <laughs> exactly. I've got a sticky, uh, sticky lock, mate. That's the issue. Exactly, exactly. Well, look, lads, that's enough of this unformatted stuff. Uh, some of the, the talking points I sort of took away from it, Jonesy, uh, the, again, we've touched on on the checks there, that they were brilliant. But our goals, obviously, don't come at just the right time, didn't they? Antonio, such a great start. Tom, I think it was you who said it last week. You just We need to get up and at them quickly and play on that lack of confidence they had. But scoring when we did was brilliant. And then straight away, again, after half time, you think, oh, that is exactly what we wanted. And then, you know, I think, if I'm speaking completely frankly, I think a draw would have been a fair result. Tottenham were easily the best team in the second half. But uh, as a few a point, a few people have made, Tom, is that, you know, it, do, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, we were in a position where we could sit back and try and soak up some of that pressure, weren't we? Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. We got ourselves in that position by putting a real good 60 minute shift in. We sort of, Lost a bit in the tank. You could tell last 30 minutes, a few of them were blowing on fumes. Majority of them have played a stupid amount of football recently. It's been that starting 11 throughout the majority of the season. Um, Rice saying Suchek ran 17 kilometres against United and then he's, he's still got the legs to play week in, week out after. It's just mind-boggling. So they were naturally going to drop deeper. They put Bayer on. I don't know how he's not been playing more minutes for them because he did look pretty sharp and he pretty much changed the game in their favour when he came on. But Well, Tottenham fans are saying that's his best that. performance for them since he's returned, really? isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me because he, he, he did look dangerous. But yeah, we dropped deep, but the back four yet again stood up to a man. They were superb. The amount of crosses they stopped... A team like Tottenham's going to get a few chances in it, and we did ride our luck, but we have done a few times this season, and maybe that's the difference between other teams we've had in the past, which were nearly teams. Yeah, I mean, them hitting the post and the bar like they did, you just think, oh, Jesus. The the, the bar yeah. one, they really should have scored there, shouldn't they? Oh, the fantastic block from, from Declan Rice, but from that position before that, you should be scoring. Bale's a bit unlucky, good technique. Uh, to keep that spinning ball down, um, yeah. But you know, if, if a goal had come for that, you think you think fair enough. But Jonesy, uh, I think if you had to pick a, a negative from it, um, I would have picked. I'd have said Cresswell. He didn't have his best game. He seemed a little bit sloppy on the ball. 
Uh, and most of Spurs' dangerous attacks in the second half particularly seem to come down his flank. I know Spurs changed it up slightly where where they, they had quite a lot of success with players dropping in that line between uh, our defence and, and Suchek and, and Rice. But yeah, did not one of Cresswell's finest games, but again, nothing nothing terrible. Did you find the same or completely disagree? I mean, it wasn't it wasn't his best game in the West Ham shirt. It wasn't his best game this season, but... Um... I don't think he was particularly poor. Um, a lot of the play, when a lot of five the play, out of ten, five out of ten, I reckon. Oh, I think that's a little bit harsh, mate. Go, at least go six. I'm um, just annoyed because I can't impersonate him. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 when he's when he's involved defensively as much as he was at the weekend, obviously his performance is going to be highlighted more than more than anyone else. You know, he's going. You know, he's not going to. You know, stop every single player from running past and dribbling past him. He's gonna, you know, and particularly when he's he's up against the likes of Bale, uh, Regulon, and um, uh, was it Doherty came on and even had Son at some point as well, who's, who's drifting. Um, so you know, he was never he was never going to be a, a ten out of ten performance, given that he had all those world class players running at him after 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 the afternoon. But I don't think it was his worst performance, and he's been fantastic this year. So you can forgive him for having a. Uh, a five, six, or or six and a half out of ten performance every now and then, given six how good he's been. Six and a half, don't know about that. No, but I, I'm not being uh, harsh him. I don't want to uh, get a load of tweets again, like I did after Ben Rama the other week, saying how harsh I was being. I just think if you had to pick yeah. a, a negative point, I just found a couple of times I was getting a bit frustrated um, with him, even on the ball as well. It was a bit sloppy. But Tom, did you agree with with that? statement a few people have have said it about a draw probably being a fair result obviously it's brilliant to win and and I was loving it as much as anyone I do think uh, that would have been fair Harry Kane had a few opportunities didn't he I thought Fabianski had an excellent game by the way he sort of gets overlooked a lot this season but he's been wonderful Uh, I thought he was great again Harry Kane I think a couple of them chances didn't have his shooting boots on did he I think he put one wide um, close to half time, and then the couple with a, just sort of gone through people's legs. Those usual shots he gets out of his feet that normally nestle in a bottom corner could easily have been a draw, couldn't it? Yeah, I think I think they had the chances to definitely get something out of that game, and you'd be stupid to say not. But at the same time, I think we just we did enough to win the game and, and have a claim to winning it. For the first sixty minutes, we were open, and. The end of the first half, and for a lot of the first half, it must have been an unbelievable game to watch the neutral because it was so open in the midfield, just a lot of open space for people to run into. And I think that's we've got to give credit to Moyes a lot this season against the top six. We haven't done that. We've sat so deep and eventually just sort of waited out in our bunker until they score. And that's why we had two points from 21 until this weekend. So the fact that we changed that gave us enough to win it. But at the same time, we did get our fair share of luck, which we haven't had in years because the draw probably would have been minimum. If you're a Spurs fan, you'd be fuming. Mm, yeah, and, that, and that's what I think. You know, Spurs fans have an absolute meltdowns after the game. But ultimately, uh, that could easily, you know, and we're saying it could have been a draw. It could have been, they could have won that 3-2 with the chances they had. Harry Kane, I'm surprised he didn't score one of those. The one where Declan Rice makes that mental block. If Kane hadn't taken the extra touch before he yeah. played it across, it doesn't matter who you are, Declan Rice or Super Rice or anyone. Um, if he played that pass a step sooner, that's a tap in for either one of them. 
Bale hits the bar again. I, you know, I, I think Tottenham fans have an absolute meltdown about it, which is lovely to see, of course. Um, but yeah, I don't think really, it, you know, it wasn't like they got absolutely drubbed or they weren't in the game at any point. They were clearly the better team in the second half. But uh, one more, lads, before we move on. Brilliant to to beat Tottenham at home. Brilliant to go fourth. Uh, that's just uh, one point Tottenham have got off of us all season. Four points against Spurs. You'd have that every single season, wouldn't you? To never, ever lose Tottenham again. But Pablo Fornells, um, I, I still don't... I, nothing bad to say about him at all. Not a negative thing. I just don't really <laughs> get him still. I just... Uh, he seems to, especially on the ball, you know, I know he works his absolute little Spanish socks off, off the ball, doesn't he? Running about all over the place. But I, I find on the ball, when we've got the ball, he just seems to slow things down a bit. He never does anything particularly incisive where I think, oh, that's excellent. You kind of, he was billed to us as this really like technical player coming over from Villarreal. I'm trying to gauge from your faces which one of you disagrees with me most at the moment. And it looks like, Jones. Uh, so, uh, again, nothing bad to say about him. And I never, ever, when he's in the team, think, oh, no. But um, I, I expected Tom was going to be annoyed that Ben Rahm wasn't playing. And Moyes likes to play four nails against the bigger teams. But it, it's more when we're on the ball. I f- find myself getting frustrated quite a lot that the tempo seems to slow down whenever it gets played out to him, Jonesy. I think I think we saw at the weekend the best thing that he brings, brings to the team. And that's his fantastic dance moves. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'll be honest. I couldn't take my eyes off his hips during that during that uh, celebration. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Just proper, lie. proper Spanish. Uh, it was it was wonderful. It was it was great. Um, but I I, I kind of get where you're coming from. Shockingly, yeah, I know. I, I can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, I, I I kind of get it. I think the reason why uh, David Moyes likes him is, is as you really said, his work rate is, is second to none. Um, you know, he gives us those, those legs. He, he'll press. He'll happily press. But you know, what does he bring? Um, I think it's just consistency. It, 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 he never really has a bad game, does he? No, um, definitely not. And he, no. he, he does. I know he's in a different, he's a completely different position. But he reminds me a little bit of Hayden Mullins in that you, you kind of you forget yeah. he was it. You forget he was in the pitch until he's he never not had a bad game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. He, he never has a bad game, but then you kind of never really notice that he's there. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, I mean, he got the assist for, for Lingard's Lingard's winner. Um, and yeah, he, he does make, occasionally make those runs in behind and, you know, does create space for his teammates with, with some of his runs in behind. Did he, um, sorry, did he get the assist or did he just move out of his way? Yeah. No, he, he played he, he it passed, anyway back he, into he, him. He played it back into him and then went to take the shot and then got out of his way. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> Thankfully, because he, he would have been offside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think... And she would have missed as well. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. is that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, that poor astronaut would have edited it back down to earth. It? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think I think all in... He, he's a safe. He's a safe pair of legs in in midfield. Um, it occasionally creates some. It occasionally get get the odd goal. Um, perhaps he might be a little bit underwhelming in terms of what we thought we were getting um, from Villarreal. But you know, if he's going to just play consistent, consistently, putting the, the, a consistent six or seven every week, then you know, take it all day long for, without the goals and assists because mm, he's got yeah, the work that- rate. 
definitely. Tom, just quickly on that one then before we move on. On that, the, I think the the reason it came from at the beginning, James says here about his work rate, which is absolutely brilliant. And Jared Bowen, I think, is similar on the other side. I think his decision-making can be questioned at times. But when you've got Ben Rama sitting on the bench, I know you're a massive Ben Rama fanboy, Tom, uh, and I'm, I still have no real preference over the three of them, but we know that Ben Rama works hard as well. He's not, he's not just a, a show pony, is he? He is great on the ball, but he does work hard as well, which therefore seems to me to suggest that he might bring slightly more than Fonals. I think the amount of the amount of times that Ben Rama gives the ball away might be more because he is perhaps at a little bit more of a risky choice for Moyes, which is why Fornells probably gets more time against against big teams. But do you feel that it's a it's like a head to head between them two for that last spot, seeing as as Bowen seems to be a, an auto pick every week? Or do you think it's just nice to have that uh, variety for Moyes to choose from in that attacking line? I think, for, yeah, firstly, I do think you're right. I think it is nice kind of for Moyes to have, to have three good players. And by all means, they are, they're Premier League players to a man. And Fornals has played for Spain. Ben Rahm is an international footballer. Bowen's taken to the Premier League very well in his first 18 months. So he, he should get better. So got three good players. There, but the thing I think both of you said, I think, yeah, Fornals gets picked because of his reliability. He's a bit like the Spanish James Milner. You know what you're <laughs> going to get out of him. And maybe every now and then he'll pop up with some kind of contribution and and I love him and I, and I do and he play anywhere for the shirt honestly I think he's one of the few foreign players we've brought in for big money recently who loves it and absolutely is committed to the cause and really would go over and beyond for us so I think I, I don't have a bad word to say about him but I do think we lose quality when both Bowen and Fornals play we don't have that presence of mind in the final third I think Bowen brilliant ball for the first goal superb but that happens once every three or four games with him. And we know he's got the quality to do it. And he gets in so many positions and he doesn't deliver where I think we've seen Ben Rahm he actually gets in those final third positions. He rarely makes the wrong choice and he always tends to create space and doing opportunities for his teammates. So I think he deserves more football. I think he should. But I think against teams like Tottenham, I think playing for now is a safe bet. And I, I will never have a go at Moyes for that, however much I love uh, Saeed Ben Rama. Mm, yeah, perhaps uh, Pablo Fornells probably wouldn't be surprised to see him against City at the weekend again to to contain those those big teams. Tom, I think there you've uh, you've given me two contenders for the title of this week's podcast. Spanish James Milner was my initial favourite. <laughs> Absolutely love that shout. Uh, and over and beyond, which appears to be a new phrase that you've come up with on the spot to replace above and beyond. Come on, <laughs> exactly. Tom Edwards special there. Well, lads, look. Brilliant start to the show. Some in-depth Spurs reaction. I'm delighted to say that me and Tom were lucky enough to chat to Tony Cotty, West Ham legendary striker, supersonic goal scorer and general goal machine, scored against Spurs on his debut. Me and Tom caught up with him on Monday afternoon after the game to get his breakdown. You'll hear that interview next, but just a quick one. Uh, to say before you hear that, that Tony is doing a virtual audience session with his famous Boys of 86 strike partner, Frank McAvenny. That's on Friday night, uh, 8pm start, I believe. And if you head over to Tony's Twitter, at TonyCotty9, there's all the details on how you can book tickets to that and proceeds are going to the Bobby Moore Fund. I will give you more details. You'll hear more in the next section. Tony, 
you'll hear you'll tell you all a little bit about it as well but if you like the sound of that an audience with tony cotty and frank mcaveni to hear lots of things about tony's goal scoring exploits or the pair of their goal scoring exploits on the pitch as well as a few uh, off-field shenanigans that I think Frank's going to tell you about. They're open to questions from fans. So go over to Tony Cotty, at Tony Cotty 9 on Twitter to find out how to get tickets for that. Or, uh, yeah, if not, send us a, a DM if you want. If uh, if you're struggling, send us an email, wearewestampod at gmail.com if you haven't got Twitter and we can point you in the right direction. But stay with us because that full interview with Tony Cotty is next. So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And as I've said a thousand times since the weekend, if you can't be happy at the beginning of a week after West Ham have beaten Tottenham at home to get into the Champions League spots, then I'm afraid to tell you all that you never will be. But I'm delighted to say that joining us again on the We Are West Ham podcast is friend of the show, iconic West Ham striker and loved a goal against Tottenham is Tony Cotty. Tony, brilliant to have you with us again. I mean, just explain to me how you felt after that. You've scored goals against Tottenham. You scored one, of course, on your debut. That at the weekend, I can. I was listening to the radio this morning. Your mate Gailey was on with Paul Coit, our mutual friend on TalkSport 2, and he was saying, I didn't get Tony Cotty on this morning because I know he'd give it to me both barrels to Paul, his sports <laughs> Tottenham. And uh, what, what, what does it, you know, just, just to explain what, the, what that sort of thing, it still means so much to you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I, I, I think, um, I mean, obviously a lot of it's historic and well before you two youngsters were born, I might add, but there was <laughs> lots of history. And as, as my dad always used to say to me, if, if Sunday, he said, if we're in the top flight, we don't like Spurs. He said, if we're in the championship, we don't like Millwall. And, and that was as simple as it got. <laughs> and I think it's, I think it's passed down through the generations and, <clears throat> you know, the father to son and grandfather to father. So for me, as a as a West Ham fan, and then of course getting into the first team, you know, to to play against Spurs, and especially as you've already said, in on my debut and scoring on my debut, and then it, it was always there was always a special meaning for me. And even when I played for other clubs, I just loved scoring against Spurs because of of that growing up really as a as a fan. And you know, I, I, I don't like the word hatred. I really don't. I don't like to say I hate anyone or anything. I think it's a very strong and powerful word, but. I think it's fair to say we don't really like it, neighbours. That's <laughs> about as diplomatic as I'm going to get, I think. So I, I, I think, you know, to to put one over on, on Tottenham is always great. And that was following on from the, the fantastic thrill draw, you know, the, with the goal of the season from Lanzini, etc. So, you know, to get four points off, what is a very good Spurs team? Let's, let's be honest about it. They've got some good players, you know. I think it was, it was great. And it was great to be a West Ham fan last night, wasn't it? You know, I don't think we played brilliantly but in terms of the result it was a fantastic result and I think if you ask the lads that come through the academy particularly that you know Ben Johnson Nobes ask them what it means to play against Spurs and they'll say the same as me yeah absolutely I heard uh, Declan on Talk Sport this morning great interview I mean I love every time he speaks but he's just talking yeah. openly look I, I want I don't care what David Moyes says about playing it down I want to be in the Champions League and I love winning against them and it is uh, it is brilliant here Tony uh, I mentioned I, I text Paul this morning uh, Paul Coit and said um, 
Uh, Paul, you know, I, I, it's nothing to be sniffed at. Mid-table clubs like yours, you should be delighted you got a point off us Champions League certs. Does it, um, we, we've mentioned sort of what, what it means and that win yesterday, and it is every single season, whether we're floundering at the bottom, mid-table or like this season, it always means loads to beat Tottenham and the fans do absolutely love it. And often it's the best thing and the only thing that might have happened in a pretty glum season. But this year, do you feel that, do you feel like it means more? Because I know we got into the fourth place uh, position, the Champions League spot, obviously it's yet to be seen whether we'll be able to hold on to that. That is going to be some task, but do you think it means more this year because of the position the team's in? Because for me yesterday, it felt like excellent. We've beat Tottenham, which is brilliant, but I felt so much more happy than I might usually because of the bigger picture and it's so much nicer for that not to be the pinnacle of your season yeah I think I mean, it's a good point well I think you know in, in what you would call a normal West Ham season we're either fighting relegation or we're in mid-table that is what a normal West Ham season is and we don't like to admit that we, we're not comfortable with it but let's be honest if you look at our results in the Premier League, the Premier League's been going, what is it, 28, 29 years now? You know, there's not been too many times where we've been up there pushing to get into Europe. You know, I think there was a few times under, certainly under the Harry Redknapp uh, regime. Um, and then there's been other sort of isolated seasons. Um, but it's been a while, really. You know, we had that great season, the last one at Upton Park under Slavin, where we were sort of pushing and then the cut court final, etc. But I think the difference this year is that we, we've been consistent and it's not a word that you normally associate with any West Ham team, that word consistent, you know, because we've been getting the results. I think since Christmas, New Year, I think we've been pushing and sort of in, in and around the European places. You know, in other words, either sort of seventh, eighth and sixth and fifth, and now we've gone up to fourth. And I think that's what makes it better that, you know, the, the, you're right, the victory against Spurs is great. It's always great, it doesn't matter whether you're getting relegated, if you beat Spurs, we're happy. We all know that. But, I think to to beat them and push your European credentials a bit more and get some more points on the ball. You know, it's the best points return since the famous 86 season. You know, that's how good a season it is at the moment. And you know, listen, if, if we all fall, if it all falls apart and we, you know, we don't win another game between now and the end of the season, we still say, yeah, we beat Spurs, etc. I get all that, but I think there's a little bit more to this team. There seems to be a real discipline about the team, a confidence a really good team spirit and, and we've got some good players as well. And, and now we've got the right manager in place. You know, there's no reason with, with what's been going on. It's been such a bizarre, weird season. We all know that. Where it's only to do with the fans not being there or not, I don't know. But um, it's certainly played a large part in some of the crazy results we've had. But, you know, we've been very consistent this year. And, uh, you know, we, we're not, I would say we're in full position and, uh, been lucky. I think we're in fourth position. We deserve to be here, and that is the biggest compliment I can pay everyone. Tony, you're you're talking about this year, and you're talking about our upturn in form. And one of the main things is obviously Thomas Suchek. And yesterday again, he put in a blinder performance, like the Terminator. Everyone said when he got hit, blood pouring out his head. He gets back up to make that block again, and he's been such a key man in our turnaround, along with Sue Fow and. You being in a dressing room, how much can one or two players make that difference? Because supposedly they're coming in and staying behind and they're the ones sort of driving the mentality to be this European team. How important is it to have people like that come in and how much of an impact could they actually put just down to those two, really? 
Well, I don't think you could put it down to just those two. Um, I mean, let's not forget Jared Bowen's coming to the club and particularly over the last two or three games, Jess Lingard's been fantastic, hasn't he? So, you know, there's been other signings as well. But um, I, I can liken it to the 86 season because, you know, we had some very good players at the football club and then we then uh, signed Frank McAvenny and Mark Wald who went on to become great players for the football club. We've got Alan Demonshire back from a long-term injury so those three players coming back into a team that was already pretty talented anyway makes a huge difference and it gives everyone a boost. And, you know, especially if they feel key positions, you know, positions that have perhaps been not a weakness, but a problem position. You know, certainly the, the right back, right wing back position, it was, you know, we needed to, to get someone in there. We needed someone in midfield really to replace Nobes. And, you know, I know Nobes is still about and part of the squad and everything, but, you know, he's not been able to play regular because of Suchek's form. So, you know, they've been two key players and they can make a massive, um, uh, they can play a massive part in what goes on in the dressing room. And, and also, if as well, we're like what you're saying, if, they, you know, if they're working hard in training and they, they're winners and they're battling away and everything. And what I liked about um, Suchek yesterday was that, you know, he, he's gone up for that header, a big whack of heads, he looked, Awful, didn't it? The actual incident. And as soon as the camera panned on him, blood pouring everywhere. And his first thought really was, you know, how quick can I get to the dressing room to get stitched up and get back on or put some Vaseline on me and get back on the pitch? And, you know, we've seen many a player, I think, over the last sort of few years who, you know, they have a little knock like that and you don't see him again. They're not Suchek. There was even no way in a million years he weren't coming back onto the field of play, which tells you everything. You know, they're both tough boys from the Czech Republic. But they're good footballers as well, and I don't want to—I don't want to praise them as the only two that have made a difference. But they've certainly made a big difference. There's no doubt about that, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just so nice to see you've touched on it there, Tony. Everyone pulling in the same direction. You only need to go back, um, you know, uh, just six weeks maybe when Sebastian Hilaire was still playing up front. And obviously he's got talent. He's gone on. He's doing well at Ajax. But ultimately everyone could see it. No, some factions of fans didn't want to say it because he cost a lot of money. And, and understandably, sometimes supporters don't want to get too caught up in the negatives. I want to try and see positives and encourage these players. But Sebastian Haller wasn't cutting it. No matter how much he cost, he wasn't putting as much effort in as the rest. And you can see now that when you've got 11 who are all doing the same, the value in that has been huge to the team. Tony, before I know Tom wants to ask you about a couple of milestones of your own, and I, I want to get your thoughts on what we can actually do this season. But you mentioned Mark Noble there, so I'll ask you now. What do you think uh, would be, or what do you think might happen, or what do you think would be best for the for the club to do? Because there's so many fans this year. Mark tweeted after the game on the weekend and just said, "Have a lovely evening with the crossed hammers." Obviously, feels so. Uh, he's got such a bond with the fans, and understandably, when you put all those years and time and effort and loyalty into a into a club, you're going to get nothing but love in return, which is what Mark gets. There are understandable questions he's alluded to it in interviews about he doesn't know how much he's got, how long he's got left, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, what do you think? Sort of what what do you make of that whole situation? What are your thoughts on it? Because you know, for him to not get a send off in front of fans, that would be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you might know more than me. Well, I don't know where it is. Is his contract up at the end of the season? or is Yeah, he got, at the moment, yeah. At the moment, yeah. Well, listen, I I personally, I, I can't see any way that the club won't offer him a one-year extension. I really don't. Um, you're, you know, you're, you're right. You, you can't give him a send-off with no fans. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I know the club have made some 
poor decisions over the years. I can think of quite a few where they've not really done the right thing. But I think in the in the case of Mark Noble, you you've got to make an exception. Listen, I I, I don't think he should get a year for as a token value. I think you should get a year for your input that you put into the football club. Um, and what the fans won't always appreciate, and particularly nowadays, even more so than when I was playing, is the captain is a huge part of what goes on in the dressing room. And it's not just about what you do on the field of play. The fans see what you're doing on the field of play, but they don't see what you're doing behind the scenes. They don't see you organising stuff for the boys. They don't see you organising the community aspect of things. That doesn't always get appreciated. So Nobes plays a massive part of what goes on off the field as well as what's going on on the field. You know, you, you see the respect he's got. Susie comes on the field to play. Much funny enough, I don't mean they've done it yesterday, but Deck can't wait to get his bone banged off. Nor <laughs> yeah. it and I don't, I don't think he did it yesterday because there was only about two minutes left. I might be wrong, but I'm not sure if they passed the armband over. But anyway, I, I'm digressing. But, you know, I think, I know David Moyes thinks a lot of Mark Nogue, an awful lot. And I, I don't think that he would allow a situation where Mark Nogue was allowed to leave the football club or go and play elsewhere you know, without getting sent off he deserves. If it's about money, I, I, I don't believe it would be, but if it's about money, you know, why not give Nobes uh, a smaller basic salary and give him a huge bonus every time he goes on the field of play? It doesn't matter if it's two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, who cares? But at least he's earned his money rather than saying, we'll give someone a year's contract, getting what might be big money and not sort of playing. But I, I still think he's got an awful lot to bring to the table. He has to start the football club. I, the one thing I detest about football is when they don't look after their players that come through the system. And there's been too many examples. I can think of Steven Gerrard, one off straight away off the top of my head, uh, John Terry at Chelsea and, and Mark Noble at West Ham. You know, those players should still be at their football club. They should still be involved there, whether that's coaching, uh, whether that's as an ambassador whatever the player wants to do. Not everyone wants to be a manager. No one wants to be a coach. No one wants to go into the media. Sometimes, you, you know, just have an ambassador. You just, well, Mark, no, he, he might retire and he goes through every game. He's just there, you know, a bit like what Ledley King done for Spurs, I suppose. Yeah. And now look at Ledley on the coaching staff. So I, I personally, I think Nobes has to stay at the football club, give him another year's contract, work out the money and what that means to, to Nobes and the football club, but keep him involved. He's a huge presence in that dressing, huge and we need him to start the football club because I think, especially if, as we all hope, we're in Europe next year, you need a captain and a leader to help you get around Europe and navigate all the, all the issues and stuff that's going to go on with that campaign. So he has to stay 100%. Uh, Tony, another thing on Noble, so if it's his relationship with Declan Rice and how critical he's been to his fast track as one of the leaders now in the squad and, and obviously sort of giving him into that mentality that he had being a one-club man. And obviously that's what we all would love Declan Rice to be. It's far-fetched. He's very young and he is one of the most talented players in the league. But how critical will it be for him to have a few more years with Noble, whatever that may be, if it's coaching or if it's part of the squad? Because ideally that's what we want. And Declan Rice can still do with a lot of learning. So how much do we need that to carry on in the next few years or so? Well, of course, yeah, you're right, Tom. You know, I mean, listen, don't forget that that, that would have, you know, when the age that he joined uh, the club, I think it was 14, 15, I think I'm right in saying. And from yeah, that 14. moment, yeah, he would have seen that the, the captain of the football club was Mark Noble. We're going back, what, we're going back six or seven years now. And then when a young kid comes through the academy, 
And, you know, I, I had that with myself and that, you know, because like a few years after I got into the first team, you had the likes of Stevie Potts come through, Stuart Slater come through, Paul Ince, these fantastic players. And when you come through the academy yourself, you feel an attachment with these players and you, you feel like you want to help them and guide them and, you know, do whatever you can do to make it easier, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, as I've already spoke about with Noble. So, so that would have the utmost respect for Mark Noble and that would want him to stay at the football club. And I think all the players would as well, because you need that team spirit. You need that local lad, that leader and everything. And, and that would say that, I'm pretty certain he would say that as well, that he would want Mark Noble to stay at the football club. Yes, the armband's going to get passed on. We all know that, that that is our, is our captain on the field at the moment and going forward, we all hope he's there as captain for the next 10, 15 years. Let's hope so, because that means we've won things and we're doing things as a football club. Um, but we, we need to keep Deck at the football club. And there's probably an argument that keeping Nobes at the football club, is, is that's going to help keep Deck at the football club in, at this moment in time, because you want him to be happy. You want, him, you, know, you, want, you want your captain to be playing games and, and thinking that, like what he said on the radio this morning, he, I, I heard what he said, and he said that we believe we've got a chance of getting in the Champions League. If you want to keep Declan Rice at our football club, I've said it before, there's only two ways of doing that, and it ain't money. It's winning something or playing in Europe. They are the two things, that, the two reasons that I left the football club, and that's been going on, that other players have left to, to go and you know, try and win things elsewhere and that, and that is what we've got to do with that. We need to try and win something or qualify for Europe. If we, even if we get in the Europa League, there's more chance of Declan Rice staying because of that and if we don't get in the Europa League. So let's hope we qualify for Europe. Let's keep Noves at the football club, bring it all together. And, and why change it? That, that would be my argument, Tom. Why, you know, why change it? Nothing's, nothing's broken. Don't change it. Don't try and get rid of people. And do Just keep it as it is. Let the manager just keep slowly ticking over. And if there's a couple of bits of dead wood, you move them on and bring in a couple of players that want to play for the football club. Yeah, it does feel like for for the first time for such a long time, doesn't it, that there there isn't loads of work that needs doing. There's some transfer windows you go into, or some seasons where you think, Jesus, where do you start here? Like, what a nightmare! Well, well we need a couple of centre forwards. That's the, the, the one thing. <laughs> that is true. No, and yeah. I'm not joking. You know, listen, Mikel's a great player. We all know that, but he's prone to injury. You know, for obvious reasons, we need to bring a couple of centre forwards in to take the pressure off him, so that when he's not quite fit, he's always feeling a little tired or whatever, then you can play someone else. And, we, you know, listen, you try and bring in a, like, I don't know, a, a, a bigger sort of target man type of player and then bring in a little smaller goal scorer like myself or something that, you know, so you've got a nice little mixture and then you've got the powerhouse of Antonio. And going into what we hope is going to be a European campaign next year, we're going to need three centre-forwards. So, you know, I agree what you was just about to say. We don't need a lot in the transfer window, but come the summer, we do need to sign at least, in my opinion, at least one forward, maybe two. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we 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 try to uh, to always be balanced on on this podcast, and West Ham fans can be, especially like with the with the stuff with the board. It's quite a strange time that we live in at the moment. There's a lot of anger amongst yep. lots of parts of the fan base, and lots of it is is totally justified and understandable. And I think then it just spills over into any issue that comes up. Then that that original uh, frustration that's there then spills over into things which might be slightly smaller at other clubs, but. It we, we all said the same thing in, in January. Whilst we, you don't want to be that doom merchant, unfortunately, it did uh, it did undermine or make more difficult our push for Europe by not adding a striker in, I think, which I, I just it is frustrating. And what again, you don't want to be uh, 
pushing these negative things when we're playing so well at the moment. And if players can come in, play the false nine, whatever it is, then absolutely happy days. And solved the problem, hasn't it? Jess Lingard has temporarily solved the problem, which is which is great. And I'm really pleased. He's been a great addition to the squad so far. But it was almost a case that they couldn't really win the club because you know, if if they if you don't sign anyone, people moan, oh, we're not ambitious, we should have signed someone. And then if you do bring someone in, you know, that a few years ago we bought in Jordan Hugill, do you remember? And like he didn't really play at the club. We spent eight, nine million on him and then he's then moved on or whatever. And then everyone says, Well, what did you sign him for? You know, what am I set money now? You've got to be careful. So I think the compromise was exactly what the manager did. I I don't think you should sign players in January. I think it's a real panic window and you should always sign players in the summer. And to get in someone like Jess Lingard that the manager knows, it gives him an an opportunity to come to London and be the top boy at a wonderful football club. And that's exactly what you you look at him. He's smiling, he's happy. And you you think to yourself, you know what? We've got a real good chance. I I hope they've done some sort of deal about we can buy him for X amount of pounds. Because if he keeps playing like he is, then you then get vultures circling because they realise what a good player he actually is. So I hope we've got the first option on, on him to buy him in the summer. Well, you wonder that, don't you? Because the way he's playing now, you think Manchester United must be looking at it and going, oh, yeah, well, we'll be having him back. I know Fernandes is playing out of his skin, but for someone like that, they play so many games, don't they, United? You think they'd uh, they'd, they'd certainly want him back as well. But hopefully he just enjoys himself so much this season and decides that a fresh start and that he wants a bit more of that and something else, you know, a bit more of a permanent deal would be great to see. Tony, you mentioned there about, um, you know, you don't feel like, or you might have been a bit fortunate at the weekend, but obviously were with Spurs hitting the post and, and that sort of thing. I can own, that's why I'm enjoying this season so much because I can only think back to, I think Fulham at home with the Lookman penalty and maybe Aston Villa at home where we were clinging on. They're the only two games. I think, Oh, we were lucky there. We were really fortunate. And the rest of the time, you do feel we deserve to be in and around where we, we currently are. What, Honestly, what is your genuine expectation for the rest of the season? Now, all the things we've mentioned, striker, the games we've got coming up, what do what yeah. can we do this year? Well, listen, potentially we can get in the Champions League. We, we know that is a realistic potential, if you like, because of where we are, the, the, the hard work we've put in so far. I still think, bearing in mind we nearly got relegated last year, I still think it might be asking just a little bit too much to get into the Champions League. When a push comes to shove and the pressure's on and the, and the big boys are all fighting for those places at the top, it's going to be very, very difficult. But having said that, listen, Leicester are in a great position as well. You know, and I, I expect them to finish in the top four. I don't think Manchester United have been brilliant. I think the, at times they've been grinding away. Um, Everton have been really good and inconsistent also at the same time. Liverpool have dropped off the pace, but they will probably improve. And then, of course, you've got Chelsea under a new manager. So it's going to be very, very difficult for us to get into the Champions League uh, spot, that's for sure. If we have a good run of form, you know, if we maintain a good run of form, then, yeah, of course, we've got, a, we've got as good a chance as anyone of getting into that top four. Realistically, uh, I'm expecting us to finish probably fifth, sixth or seventh. That's really where I think we're going to finish. And if we do that, and if we get into the Europa League, I think everyone will turn around and say, what a season that was. You know, shame that no one could watch the game to go to the grounds, etc. We all know that. But I think everyone will say that's a really good season. And then you get a good problem because your problem is your squad's not big enough for Europe. You're going to be playing on Thursday and Sunday next year, etc. You then got to bring in the two forwards I spoke about. You've got to develop the squad. But that will be a nice problem. And I'm sure the manager will take that as a really nice problem come the end of the season. Um, but my heart 
my heart says we'll get in the Champions League. My head, being realistic, I think more like the Europa League. Yeah. Just, Tony, uh, Moises... Sorry, sorry, Tim. Go I was on, just going to say, Moyes is doing such a good job. Like Everyone can now see it, and he proved a lot of people wrong, including probably all three of us on the podcast. We never blamed him, but it, we, it seems an odd choice to pretty much every not, fan at the time. But Because I was the one who... Very not you, yeah, exactly. Not you, not yeah. a few. Yeah, and but do you think he's even getting the credit he truly deserves for how he's handling the situation? Because even when he gave the interview yesterday... Straight to the point, not happy with the team and asking for more in it and not playing it down, but also being sensible. Do you think he's getting the credit he actually deserves for quite what he's done? Because he's turned one of the worst teams we've had in the last 20 years into the best team we've probably had in my lifetime. It was probably better than the Pie team. So I don't think he gets any credit. Do you? I think he is getting credit. I think that, you know, it, well, let's put it another way. If he was to pick a manager of the year, a Premier League manager of the year at the moment, then surely he would be the favourite, wouldn't he? I think, you know, Brendan well, I don't Rogers, know if he'd get it. He should be. Yeah. But, you know, whether he will or not depends on where, you know, what happens over the next 13 games. You know, we've got the, the games coming up and that. Um, we've got a particularly difficult period. I think it's Man City leads. Is it um, Man United Arsenal? I think I'm right in saying something a lot like that. We've got some tough games coming up. So we'll find out exactly where we are. But now listen, you know, David Moyes for me, he, he doesn't need to say anything because the results are saying everything for him. You don't need to come out and say, well, ha ha, I was right and I've proved everyone wrong and all that. So he, don't, he doesn't need to say that because, you know, he, he's doing it with his actions. You know, the results are speaking for, him, for themselves. He doesn't need to come out and say, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. He, he's doing exactly the right thing. He's playing it down. And then the, the expectations aren't there then. But, you know, we just, as, as a West Ham fan, you, you, you boys know this, as a West Ham fan, it's, 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 like, it's like getting in a roller coaster at the seaside. And you, and you get on that roller coaster and you're up and down, up and down, up and down, and then you don't quite know where it's going to stop or whether you're going to do a loop, the loop. And then that's exactly what being a West Ham fan is. And all football fans probably go through that experience, but as a West Ham fan, you seem to get on that roller coaster and it's a bit more bumpier than most Seems other Seems like times. a lot of loop-to-loops, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get, do you? So I think we're all just enjoying the ride. I think, you know, listen, I you know I'm a fan. First and foremost, I'm a fan. And I'm just enjoying. I put my tail on in there and I, 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 I sit back and I think, you know what, we've got a good chance here. And I'm enjoying watching the football. They're playing good football. They're getting good results. And it's most unlike West Ham. And I think it comes back to the manager. I think the manager's gone in there and yes, he imposes discipline and yes, he wants players to give 100% and yes, he wants tries. And, but why not? Surely that's the, they're, the, they're the first things you should... That, that goes... That's a given. And I think there's been times over the last two, three, four years where that, that's not been a given from certain players. So, you know, the manager's gone and he says, right, OK, you give me 100%, you do what I tell you, and you're going to play for me. And he, he brings everyone together... I've not been down the training ground for at least a year because of obviously what's been going on. But I know before COVID, it was a fantastic team spirit being built by the manager. So God knows what it must be like now. It must be an absolute dream going into work, like it was in the 86 season. You get to that state, you can't wait to get into training because it's so good and you, you're enjoying your training, you're having a laugh with your mates and you're going and winning football matches, happy days. So Moisey's done a great job. He really has. Um, still hasn't got a contract. So please, West Ham, give the manager a contract. He's got. He's up at the end of the season as well. I know there's an option for a year, but we get to and the transfer. He's triggered that. That that option's been triggered. But right, they're, okay. they're in, they're in it, provisional talks. Yeah. yeah, it's only for a year, isn't it? And not yeah, being yeah. funny, right? If you're trying to sign a centre forward who's a top player for 20, 25 million pounds and that. You're trying to sign that centre forward. 
and the manager's got one year left on his contract and he's asking you to sign a four-year contract, that's not very good from the club's point of view. You should have a manager who's on a long-term contract. Give him the contract he deserves. What he's done, David Moyes, in both spells, by the way, not just this spell, in the, in the first spell as well, he's, he's been outstanding for this football club so far. And given time, he can p- potentially do what he did at Everton, which is to get them into the Champions League. And that's what, if he, do, if he does that for West Ham, it'll be a legend forevermore. We all know that. But give him the contract to allow him to do that. He's been brilliant so far. Uh, manager of the season so far, yes, David Moyes for me. But we've got 13 games left and some tough games in there. And uh, will he get the credit? I think that was the original question. Will he get the credit he deserves? He will do at the end of the season. If he gets West Ham in Europe. You know, I think the fans are slowly, slowly won him over. And I think they all appreciate now how good a manager he is. And uh, he will get the credit at the end of the season if West Ham are in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, reports at the moment or latest reports uh, suggesting that they're in provisional talks about uh, signing a new three-year deal. The club approached him and I think Moyes, and he's in such a strong position now that he's turned around and said, well, uh, you know, that's what I'd like, but it's it's dependent on certain scouting and transfer plans being put in, which I think is brilliant and is good for the club overall. Tony, we've got seven minutes left, so um, we've got you on today. It's absolutely brilliant to have you back joining us uh, again. It only seems like a couple weeks ago we were talking before we come on air i think it was november the last time we spoke to you but it's brilliant to have you on again but on friday night you're doing something a little bit different you're doing a virtual audience you and your infamous strike partner frank mcaveney from the that boys of 86 season that you've mentioned uh 15 pounds it's a virtual thing proceeds uh go to the bobby moore fund fans can go to at tony cotty nine on twitter for more details uh, they can win a signed first team shirt I understand just tell us a little bit more about that let me know if I've missed anything uh you know what no, you fans expect. yeah I've got the the signed shirts upstairs so I've got that and, then, and we'll be doing a, a free wrap it'll be like the FA Cup draw you know where you give it the you know pick the name out and I'm going to read the name out and that will be the winner of the shirt um but now we me and I spoke to Frankie and he's, he's up in Glasgow and he, I think it's it, it's been tough for him because obviously he's up there and he's everything's locked down and uh, it's been it's been tough for me. It's been tough for everyone because it's you can't do what you want to do. And I said to him, "Look, I've got an idea. Do you fancy doing this?" He said, "Yeah, great, love to do it." So um, it'll be the two of us on on obviously on a Zoom call. You know, I'm in Essex and he's in Glasgow. Um, the fans uh, will be tuning in, and hopefully we'll have lots of lots of guys tuning in. And you, it's your chance to ask us the questions. Frank's already done a video. Uh, I asked him to do a video clip for me promoting the event. And Frank's words were, "If there's any questions about football," Tony will answer them. If there's any questions about anything else, I will answer them. And that tells you everything you know about Frank McAvenny. So um, I'd love to say it's an evening with Frank, but if you say things like that, he'll, he'll want to go at the four o'clock in the morning, which I don't really want to go at the four o'clock in the morning. So it's uh, it's an audience with myself and Frank. And uh, you've already said, if you can go to my Twitter page and just um, sort of clock in there, have a little look, all the details are there and uh, please come and join us. And, uh, we'll have a great, great night. It starts at eight o'clock on Friday, this Friday, 26th of February. And uh, we're looking forward to having a bit of fun. Great stuff. So that'll be fans can ask you questions like a live forum, that sort want. of thing. Yeah. yeah, whatever they want. They can ask what? Frank whatever he wants. I, I think <laughs> Frank doesn't like talking about football. So he, I'm sure that the subject will go on to other things, which is fine. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I think when when we had him on earlier in the season, he was telling us one about where he uh, he was a little bit hungover. So he called John Lyle and told him that he couldn't make it into training that day. And John Lyle said, "Well, there's ITV and BBC cameras outside. You booked him for an interview today." He said, "Ah, oh, can you sort it, John?" He said, "Yeah, no problem." And Frank said, 20 minutes later, a load of TV trucks turned up outside his flat in uh, Romford or wherever it was." So yeah, plenty more stories like that. Uh, for those of you listening to the podcast, just head on over to Tony's Twitter. So at Tony Cotty nine, like you just said, and there's all details on there where you can book your tickets. Yep. And uh, great to hear as well, Tony. Some of the money going to the Bobby Moore Fund. We're raising a few quid for that charity this year as well. So uh, West Ham. Yeah, it's a great charity. Well, you know, and Steph, you know, Steph is a really personal friend of mine, and it's been tough that, that all the charities have suffered in you know during COVID. So anything we could do to bring money, you know, it's I think it all helps. Absolutely. We'll head on over there. Tony, quick one uh, before we let you go. The Man City game at the weekend. What are your thoughts on the score prediction? Then we'll uh, we'll say goodbye. Oh, dearie, mate. Well, again, it's a heart and head one. Where when it, I mean, you can't believe how well Man City have done. You know, bearing in mind, they've not had a centre forward and they won the last 18 games. Law of averages, they're due a defeat or a draw. So, you know, listen, why can't we go there? Um, I, I, I want to see us go. I'll tell you what I... What I not what I expect, but what I want from West Ham. I want West Ham to go there and have a real go. I don't want us to put 11 men behind the ball, sit on the edge of our own box and wait for them to pick us off and Sterling taps in from two yards out. I don't want to see that. I want to see us go there with a positive attitude. I watched Arsenal yesterday. They looked scared stiff of Man City. And I, yeah. there's no reason for us to be scared. We've got a good team. We've got good players. We've got a good manager who will tactically set us up to hit them on the counter-attack. And let's see how good they are. And um, we'll see how good we are as well. And I think it's a really fascinating game to watch. I'm going to be watching the game. Um, in terms of results, it's hard to say we're going to go there and win, but I'll, I might go for a sneaky one-all draw. And if we get a draw at Man City, I think everyone will go, wow, you know, we're, actually we are the real deal this year. So it's a big game for us and uh, it's a big game for City as well. Because I think if City win that and other teams lose, then, you know, it'll be a bit of procession. It looks like they're going to win the league. But the Champions League places, as we've spoken about, are well up for grabs. And if we can get a draw, everyone will look at that result and go, do you know what? They're, they're, they're serious contenders here. We need to get our act together. So let's, let's hope they're putting a good performance. It's more about the performance, I think, that I want to see. Rather than the result, I want to see a good performance from us. Absolutely. Well, Tony Cotty, thanks so much for joining us again. Boy, well, you're welcome. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant to have you. Remember, everyone, if you want to check out that event, the audience with Tony and Frank on Friday, 26th of February, go over to Tony's Twitter and stay with us on the We Are West Ham podcast because it's the Betway Charity Bets next. So that was legendary West Ham striker Tony Cotty there. Great to hear insight from a man who scored against Tottenham on his debut as a teenager for the club you support. What a that must be. You just into Tony, me there. He's such a nice bloke, and it's so great that that we get him on. Always really friendly. As soon as we come off the course, and you know, if, whenever you need me again this season, lads, just uh, just give me a shout, which is wonderful. But can you just imagine, like, you talk to him and he, like I say, he's so friendly, but you're talking and it hit home to me there. You're talking to a man who has done something that the rest of us or us three, just imagine, can never even dream of that. Well, I could dream of it, but yeah. like, you'd give your right arm to be able to do that, wouldn't you? Just once, let alone playing the hundreds of games he did for did for West Ham. But imagine as a teenager playing for West Ham, you score on your debut against Tottenham. Like, we've, we're all feeling absolutely buzzed in. 
about the weekend because we've watched our team beat Tottenham. But just imagine like having that passion for for the club and actually going ahead and doing it on your debut. Loves a goal, uh, loved the goal against Tottenham for the rest of his career, Tom, didn't he? I think he got a few for um, for Everton, yeah. Everton and Leicester uh, against Spurs as well. But no, absolutely brilliant. So thanks very much for Tony. And just uh, don't forget, you can uh, you can go and get tickets for that event that he's doing. Him and Frank McAvenny on Friday night. If it's something uh, you th- you know, if you're anything like me and you've heard your dad or your granddad or uncles or whoever it is, uh, aunties, nans, mums, whoever it is, you might have been watching West Ham in the era that Tony played. Bend your ear about the '85 '86 season. How phenomenal it was watching them two at play. Uh, let them know it might be something they fancy. Um, and you can go over to Tony's Twitter at Tony Cotty Nine for details on how to buy your tickets. Great stuff as well that Tony's submitting, uh, donating. Sorry, some of the proceeds to the Bobby Moore Fund. And talking of the Bobby Moore Fund, what a seamless link. That was Jonesy. The Betway Charity Bets are back for a week. Me and the lads, uh, courtesy of a £50 charity stake that we each get from Betway for each of West Ham's Premier League games this season. The winnings from which go to our nominated West Ham charity that we are playing for. I'm playing for the Bobby Moore Fund, uh, which tones some of Tony's money from the event on Fridays, going towards James. He's playing for the DT38 Dylan Tom Beattie's Foundation. And Tom Edwards is, of course, playing for Isla's Fighter Corps, particularly close to West Ham fans' hearts at the moment. Isla's been having chemo recently, been having a bit of a tough time this week, but still going strong, still battling through so all of our love and thoughts and prayers to Ireland. Delighted to be able to chip in a few quid. Chad from Betway sent over just over £1,200 for, which is some of the money that we've already raised this season to the fund and everyone else West Ham fans are doing such good work recently raising money uh, and chipping in to that pot to uh, hopefully help Isla get through in this long battle that she's been fighting at such a young age. But lads, uh, the Spurs bets. Tom, you were agonisingly close, weren't you? I think it's fair to say uh, that you've probably been the worst performer of the season or the least best. We'll call you the least best. Bronze medal position. You're still on the podium, mate. It doesn't matter that there's only three of us, but uh, we'll come to Josie at the end of this segment for an overall update if that's all right James on how much money just remind everyone how much we've we've raised so far but Tom you were very very close against Tottenham weren't you yeah I was trying to work it out I think it's about the ninth bet I've been once one uh one of the three things away something like that so yeah it's part bad but it's also been quite a bit luck I've missed one or two on corners one or two on the VAR at the very end against Leicester this one just a jarring court but yeah it is frustrating it will come what was your bet? Just remind everyone what your bet was. Oh, so yeah, yeah. The bet was um, West Ham to win um, under two point five goals and the over uh, five and a half corners. I yeah, think. over five and a half corners exactly. Um, yeah, I just want one to fall now. I think fingers crossed it will. And it, it's getting tough because obviously Isla's going through what she's going through at the minute and it, desperately trying to get some money for her. So thinking with my thinking hat this week. Yeah, yeah, don't worry, mate. So that um, the money you've already transferred over. We're still, we're still going well. Jonesy, you went draw both teams to score in over four point five corners. Not even close. I couldn't really bring myself to pin the result down, so I just went both teams to score, Kane to score, and uh, I went for cards bet initially, but uh, we couldn't have the cards one. So then I went swapped that out for Kane to score and Suchek to score. So I missed out 
on two of my elements there, but it was a bit naughty on the cards, wasn't it? Uh, after Craig Pawson seemed to, someone finally let him know midway through the first half that he was actually allowed to book Tottenham players uh, for clearly cynical fouls. Um, and then he couldn't stop giving them out after that. But look, Man City this week, lads. Uh, Jonesy, what have you gone for for the City game? This is a Saturday lunchtime trip to the Etihad Stadium. Uh, I've gone for... Um... Over three and a half goals, because there's just always goals, um, mostly for City. But um, I can't bring myself to to, to back City in this bet. Uh, unlike you, mate, that you know backs an opposition goal scorer last last week. Still can't get a bit around that. But um, <laughs> I've gone for both teams to score. I think you know we're we're still good for a goal. Uh, we don't we don't get many against City, but I think this season has been a bit of an exception when it comes to things like that. We do better uh, away than at home, don't we, to be fair? Yeah, our away record this season has been good, but um, Suchek to score as well is my third my third leg of the bet. He's due a goal, he's not scored in about two games, so he's due a goal from midfield. And um, I, I, I was going to go Lingard, given he's back in Manchester, he want to get one over City when he, but I just don't know whether we're going to get as many chances from open play as we did against Spurs um, and sort of clear-cut chances like we did. I think if we're going to score, it's going to be from a set piece or as a result of, you know, uh, you know, a, bit, um, a rebound off a corner or, or, or a free kick. And Suchek's normally in and around that, those positions and those situations. So Suchek's my man. Um, and I wasn't a bit closer than you gave me credit for in the Spurs game. All I needed was one of those, that, def- that son deflection that came off his shin to, to go in and I would have had the bet in because I had the draw. So I, was I wonder why you seemed a bit gutted after the game that we yeah. that we hadn't drawn. Yeah, <laughs> just, just wanted some. Oh, just wanted some money in the pot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely furious. Yeah, well, look, uh, my thinking exactly there, Jonesy, on the City game. Uh, I'll go read mine out, Tom. If that's all right first, because it's a nice little link. A goal yeah. in each half, more than eight point five corners, and Craig Dawson to score anytime uh, yeah exactly what you're thinking there Jonesy I think if we're gonna score it's gonna be from from a set piece I think and Dawson he's been unlucky recently he's got his head on a few in the box floating into the right positions and uh and it just hasn't quite dropped in the back of the net recently but um yeah I fancy big Craigie Dawson giving John Stones and uh Ruben Diaz uh, a run for their money up at the Etihad so Tom uh your effort to win some money this week what have you gone for I've gone um, a bit ambitious, but I've gone draw over 8.5 corners and both teams to score. I do think there'll be goals in this, but I think if they're, they're on a run, I know it's typical football thing to say, but they're due, due a game where they drop points and are a bit off form in it, and we're right bang in form and we've got a lot of weapons which don't really suit them, um, particularly in the air like both of you have alluded to, which I think would be good effort for pretty good bets those, but... Um, I just think if we know in front, we're a very tough team to pile on against, however good you are, and, and we've got that confidence to pull through. So, fingers crossed, I have a big winner. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, fingers crossed for all three of us here. Fingers crossed West Ham can get a result. Yeah, I think, Tom, uh, I'd snap your arm off for a draw right now. I think City in absolutely scintillating form at the moment. But just a reminder that you can, if you like the sound of those bets, you can back those on the Betway website and app. Just go to the pre-built 
bets section and scroll down there and you'll find the we are west ham podcast bets they'll have my name james's name and tom's name on the bets that we've just read out there so if you like the sound of them and want to have a little flutter yourself head on over to the betway website for that and thanks again just quickly while we're on that uh chad from betway sorted out getting that money over to Ireland, Isla's fight early midway through the season um, because he knows uh, how much uh, they need the money at the moment. Betway also donated. Uh, they've put in a, uh, a, a a game in the lounge, a couple of tickets for a game in their lounge. As soon as fans are allowed back in, they put that in for a raffle for Isla's fight, which fans were allowed to bid on and uh, Alan Alga sorted out. Uh, transferring, I think, £5,000 to the Isla's fight as well. So great stuff from those guys. Josie, just a quick one. Uh, how are how are we looking for the season, our league table? How much money have we raised so far for our charities? So, so you're still leading the way with 1,310 for uh, the Bobby Moore Fund. Uh, I've got £547.50 for, for DT38 and uh, Tom has got 260 quid for, for Isla's fight. And Obviously, um, the red man got his win, 1,100 quid, which is split, going to be split evenly across all three charities at the end of the season. So that makes it £3,217.50 between us. Then you double it because uh, Betway are going to match it very, very kindly at the end of the season. So it's £6,435 raised so far with 13 weeks left. Wonderful stuff, mate. Absolutely wonderful. If we get to that 10 grand mark by the end of the season, what a feeling that will be, eh? To raise 10 grand for charity. So that's great stuff, lads. And uh, fingers crossed we can can pull through with one of those this week. And to let us know whether or not our bets have got any chance, I'm delighted to say that next up is Man City fan Steve Tudor to talk to us about that game at the Etihad on Saturday lunchtime in the Opposition View. That's next. So that was the Betway charity bet section there. Fingers crossed, as we were saying, that me and the lads can pull at least one of those bets through this week to add a little bit of money to those uh, already fairly impressive pots of money that we've raised so far this season. I'm delighted to say, though, that joining us for the Opposition View segment is a returning guest. It's uh, Steve Tudor from the 9320 podcast, big Manchester City fan, to look ahead to that game at the Etihad on Saturday lunchtime, 12.30 kickoff. Steve, you're playing absolutely outstanding football this season uh, clubs and managers all over the place saying you're the best team in Europe at the moment etc 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 everyone had handed it to Liverpool again before the season started and I think you've sort of gone about your business quietly I like a lot of West Ham fans have got a huge soft spot for Manchester City I think as you were saying off air then that at your core a lot of your fans you know are still like supporting a a division two club I I think there's an affinity with West Ham fans and City fans because of that so I always love it when you're playing good football even though uh, even though other fans across the country might not but you're 10 points clear of United do you look back now and say when people were saying oh United are in the title race and Tottenham are in the title race do you look back and laugh at those two silly clubs now no, because I was one of those people. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. I put a tweet up. Um, funny enough, it was when it, uh, Spurs played you boys. And at halftime, I said, you know what? I seriously fancy Spurs for the title this year. And then 45 minutes later, I went off to do something, came back, and I had about 100 notifications on Twitter, just basically laughing emojis from people. I was like, <laughs> what has happened? Um, and as for United, at one stage, I didn't think they'd go all the way. They've got flaws there at United, but 
I thought, you know what, they could push us. They could they could challenge consistently to the end. Um, but I didn't see this coming from City. No one saw this coming from City, to be honest. It, it came from nowhere. We lost at Spurs, and then suddenly we were just completely transformed. Is that what you, do you, is that what it was like then? That even City fans didn't see it coming? Because a lot of the time, with football fans, that obviously you're watching your own club and you watch ninety every single minute that they play. And you get more of a, a sense of, of what's actually going on, whether you're being unlucky or you're particularly lucky during a period of time. But you, you, this has come out of nowhere for you guys as well, is it? It's come out of absolutely nowhere because we had kind of faults in the system and we looked shattered as well. You know, for, for two years, we were incredible. Last season, we had a sustained dip. Um, and then that just persisted and Liverpool ran away with it. And when... This season started. Um, we looked better, but it was still there. You know, some of the play. It looked like we were in need of a, an overhaul. Um, and those players, basically, that Pep had run them into the ground as regards to the system that he plays, because he's a very demanding manager, and um, it takes a lot to be that intensively brilliant week in, week out. Um, and so I really thought that we were going to need three or four new players. We were going to have a transitional season this this year. No one expected Ruben Diaz to be as brilliant as he's been. And absolutely no one expected John Stones, never mind to play your career best football, but to be fit week in, week out. So it's our defence more than anything, what's brought us where we are. Uh, And then you've got the false nine up front with no Sergio Aguero. No one could have predicted this, to be honest, mate. And it's been a huge and very pleasant surprise. Steve, you, you mentioned see DS Stones and, and that that false nine, but I mean, I look back to when we when we played at London Stadium back in October, um, and it was a one-all draw. Uh, and I remember West Ham going into that because City were in a bit of a difficult position, um, sort of in and out form. Aguero was fit, and he weren't fit. I think he limped off at half time in that game as well. What what's changed between? Is it just literally those two centre halves consistently playing well and? And, and the decision for a false nine probably forced in the fact that Aguero's not been fit for most of the season, or or has Pep done something different? Is it a bit different, a change in system, change in mentality? What what, what is it? Because we were confident back then, and we're definitely not confident this time around. Well, you know, you've lost one in eleven. You're in good form. We never seem to. We you know we have got a good record against you boys. I know, but we have struggled against you. I remember a game at the Etihad a few years ago where Jesus scored in the last minute. We couldn't break you down. Moyes is just a master tactician when it comes to setting himself up against City. Um, but as regards to the changes, I mean, obviously Diaz and Stones has been phenomenal. But what that has meant is we were playing a double pivot in midfield, and that was incredibly unpopular with City fans. Um, it, it kind of had an impact further forward with De Bruyne and his creativity. Um, the opposition was getting through us, so it just made it pointless anyway. And um, because Rodri, you know, he's a great player, Rodri, I love him, but he, he's not blessed with, with a lot of pace. And as soon as he dropped that double pivot, we changed. Now, I think in hindsight, Pep was always going to do this. I think basically he gave Rodri a banter alongside to just get to know his role, you know, perfectly at how he wanted him to play. And as soon as he moved Gundogan forward, I mean, Gundogan scored 11 goals, I think, this season. Um, and suddenly we had that extra man there, uh, particularly in wide areas with the overloads. That's basically City's attacking play, creating overloads. And we were able to do that again with Gundogan pushing forward. Uh, so that's been the big difference. And they know now that we can just have Rodri station there because at the back, 
they've got a back four that they can rely on. Mm. Um, whereas previously we didn't, you know, we had to protect that back four at all times. Now we don't have to. Steve, for, for me, Phil Foden's probably one of the most exciting players in world football. He's the best British talent by a million miles. He's always looked like he was going to be it. But this year sort of feels like the coming you, of age. James, You've seen sorry, a lot. Tom, I'm really sorry to interrupt your question. Told you, James, didn't I? He's, he's less than five foot seven. He likes a step over or two. Tom likes him. That's all it is. Top <laughs> no, pretending it's because he's good, Tom. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, all it is. But... Yeah, no, not even. But since the under 17 World Cup and I, I got a chance to watch him, I've, I loved him. Yeah, I am a stickler for a footed technician. Um, <laughs> and he and he's exactly that. But um, how good do you think he can be? You've seen a lot of players down the years, Silver and all them, but Foden's formative years are under one of, if not the greatest manager of his generation, or, or if all time by the end of his career. So how highly do you think he can get and how, how good do you think he can actually be? Well, like William said earlier that, you know, when you watch your own team week in, week out, you know things that other fans don't know. And we have been pissing ourselves now for the past year because all the narrative has been is, should Foden go out on loan? Uh, is Pat giving him enough game time? We've known that he is loving it at City. He's playing for his childhood club. He's training with Silva and De Bruyne and all the best players, you know, Aguero every single day. Um He's playing under the greatest manager in the world, in my opinion, Pep Guardiola. And he was getting far more game time than anyone. If you go back to Scholes or Beckham or Lampard or whoever, he has got more game time at his age than they had. So everything was just dandy with Phil Foden in City. And yet, if you watch the game, the commentator would spend five minutes wringing his hands about the future of English football. This season, he has basically made the impact that we knew he would. And yet, even though we've known he's going to make this impact, you can't be can't fail to be surprised by it. I mean, his age and what he does at that age, it's unbelievable. The impact that he makes, the influence he has on the rest of the team and the difference he makes. He did the same against you boys, came on at half-time, scored the goal. Um, he's a difference maker. And what he does right now is, because he has to play in that kind of front three, is because he's he's just he's like a puppy. Basically, he just runs everywhere. And no matter what Pep tells him, whilst the game's underway and the passions, you know, the adrenaline's through his body, he just runs everywhere. And so Pep has just stuck him out wide. But in time, he'll come in and he will be that successor to David Silva. Um, but what a player City got. I'm Welsh, but fair dues. I am so chuffed for England to have a player like him because he's going to win you the World Cup. He is a very, very special player. Well, as, that's if you can get in the team ahead of Lingard, Steve. I think you're getting a little bit ahead of yourself there. But How's Lingard doing? I know he scored a couple of goals. Is he playing well? Uh, that's what um, that's that's what uh, sort of brought us up to giving Tom a bit of a, a rip in there because Tom just loves anyone who plays here. Is if he's a CAM attacking midfielder, if he's less than five foot eight, he does a few step overs. He's right up Tom's street. But yeah, he's he's been brilliant so right. far. He's just uh, I think one game Fulham uh, away he was a bit quiet, but everyone was was pretty dead in that game to be quite honest. But since then, yeah, he's been revolutionary. Only earlier in the show we were saying what uh, we none of us can really believe how quickly he's hit the ground running delighted to see it but um i think all of us bar tom were a little bit perhaps oh, is, is this a bit of an underwhelming signing as he already as he played his best football already but no he started brilliantly that steve you mentioned david moyes and how tactically astute 
He is against Manchester City. He hasn't won a game against you since March 2013. Uh, 2-0 home win for Everton. He's played, uh, I think, eight times since then, uh, be it for United or for West Ham. And he's only got one draw. The draw for one all draw for us, obviously, earlier in the season. Uh, but since that 2013 win for Everton, he's lost every single game against you. How do you see it going this weekend? We've obviously, we drew against Tottenham earlier in the season, got what we thought was a good point at the time and then made it four points uh, off of them this season. Last weekend, we drew with you earlier in the season. Is there a chance? We are better against you at the Etihad. You always slap us at London Stadium, but uh, we always give a better account of ourselves yeah. away from home. Uh, how do you see the game going this weekend? Um, it's, well, first, I should say it's a bit symbolic, this game for City fans, because we've had such a gruesome run with Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, Everton, I can't remember the other, and there's one other, and West Ham. And we looked at it as you know, a five-game, really tough game run of games and we were all basically saying on the forums if we can win all those we've won the league so City fans are the most pessimistic fans you'll ever meet we're 2-0 up with five minutes to go and we'll think we're going to lose 3-2 even now and yet if we beat your boys on Saturday I'm going to just basically see Manchester City fans with what 12 games to go or how many games is it 13 games to go saying we've won the league so it's really important in that regard for City fans Um as to whether we'll do that or not, I don't. I don't fancy it. You know, I'm, I'm predicting a draw. I really think he'll still set up Moyes to basically nullify our, our false nine. Very hard to read. An impossible job for Ogbonna. and um, the movement is impossible. I mean, if you watch City on the telly and you concentrate on that front three with the kind of you know fullbacks pushing on, you can't see what they're doing. It's kind of, you know, you can follow it for a couple of minutes and then you lose track. And you think, wait, Foden's down the right. But So if you're actually there as a centre-back and you don't know whether to come deep or kind of follow or let him go, you don't know what to do. So that's the hard part for West Ham. Um, but I think Moyes is going to set you up right. I think it's going to be a, a really tough game. The key thing for me is we've been scoring early and we never used to score early under Pep. Uh, I think I've got the, the things here. In, the last, in 10 of the last 17 games, we scored inside the first 20 minutes. In six of the last 17 games, we scored in, inside the first 10 minutes. That is really not like us. So if your boys can basically, if it's nil-nil after 20 minutes, then I fancy it to go the distance. I fancy it to be another 1-1. Um, Amazon, have, have, you've scored, what is it, 61% of your goals in the second half this season. Um, so yeah, if it's tight in the second half, I will be generally worried. Oh, there we go. That sounds a little bit more upbeat than I was expecting, Steve. Thanks for that. I mean, when it's 6-0 at the weekend, we will be getting <laughs> you back on and say, <laughs> we'll never get you back on again, actually. But, uh, <laughs> right, just uh, so uh, you mentioned a quick one there, but just uh, cement that score prediction for us before I get the uh, the thoughts of the lads. I think 1-1. One, one. I think see your score first, West Ham equalise. 1-1. One, one. Well, we'll have some of that big time. Tom Edwards particularly will because uh, that's exactly what he's had for or he's had a draw for his Betway charity bet. Tom, score prediction, please. Yeah, without following Steen, I think 1-1. One, one. I think we might go ahead and then sit out and then just concede at the death but hold on for a draw. That's that's my loose prediction. Excellent. James? Uh, I'm going to go for my favourite, Desmond. Uh, Desmond. Um, <laughs> But both both our goals will come from set pieces. I don't see us getting many opportunities from open play. Um, and yeah, we just won't stop City from scoring. Um, so yeah, 2-2. Two, two. 
Okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll have some of that. I, I can't, I'm not, I refuse to be the only one uh, on the podcast who goes for a City win. I can already feel John Goodman, David Sage, I think, are my two uh, two favourites on Twitter the last week or so, giving me grief about my uh, <laughs> my negative attitude and pro- projected pessimism, I think, was uh, one of the words David Sage used. So I'm not going to go for a City win, but I'm going to say a nil-nil. They've had that a few times this season, haven't we? We're two giants of the league go up against each other in a top of the table clash and they've been a little bit underwhelming so I'm going to go for a, a nil-nil goalless draw well look Steve Tudor there from the 9320 podcast big man city fan thanks so much for that uh it's helping us look ahead to Manchester City versus West Ham at the Etihad on Saturday lunchtime 12 30 kickoff stay with us because we've got more competition next we've named that game So, Steve Tudor there from the 9320 podcast, big time City fan. He's giving West Ham some hope, lads, which is uh, nice. And one man who looked like he didn't have any hope at all in uh, weeks gone by on Name That Game is James Jones. He was streets ahead for ages and then it looked like he'd just absolutely fallen to bits. Didn't know what he's doing. You thought he'd never watched a West Ham game in his whole entire life. But in fact, he has. The scores are a little bit closer now at the lead in that game James Jones on 28 points Tom leading on 32 and I'm wedged evenly in the middle on 30 so lads we've got no time to mess around we've got nine minutes to finish off this segment in so no faffing I'm the quiz master this week for anyone who doesn't know uh, the rules of the game. Each week, the Quizmaster picks a West Ham game from history, collates seven necessary pieces of information for the game, reads them out one by one, and the lads get a point uh, for interrupting and guessing the next one. They get a point for each one. The uh, information, sorry, the pieces of information are the obscure fact about the game, the scoreline, an opposition goal scorer, a West Ham goal scorer, the stadium in which the game took place, West Ham's opponent, and the season. If it's level after that stage, it goes to a tie break and the exact year the game took place. Right, lads, I'm having it. Get straight into it. Uh, I hope you're both ready. You both look it. One of the goal scorers moved within one goal of his club's all-time scoring record when he scored in this game. That is the obscure fact about the game. Tom, Tom, uh, Tom's gone 2-0. That is incorrect. James, fancy having a go at the scoreline? 3-1. 3-1 is incorrect. The scoreline was 4-2. Yeah. Right. Tom sounds confident. So I need an opposition goal scorer next, please, lads. Tom, I'll go to you. Michael Owen. Michael Owen is correct, Thomas Edwards. Michael Owen scored a hat-trick. He knows the game already. James Jones is nodding confidently. So, James, I'll throw to you. It's 1-0 to Tom. And I need a West Ham goal scorer from you, please. Oh, that's, I saw highlights of this game recently. Very recently. Oh... Uh... I'm going to say... Nah. Oh, no, this, is, this has caught me. Marlon Harewood. Oh, he's pulled it out of the bag. James Jones <laughs> makes it one. Oh, what a guess. Uh, yeah, so Marlon Harewood. So for Newcastle, Michael Owen got a hat-trick. Alan Shearer got the other one and moves within 
the goal, like I said there, of Newcastle's all-time goal-scoring record set by Jackie Milburn. Uh, yeah, home with the hat-trick. And West Ham's goals were scored by Marlon Howard and a Nobby Solano own goal, funnily enough. So, Tom, uh, I need the stadium from you, please. Um, it was at Upton Park. That is correct. That is 2-1 to Tom Edwards. James Jones, the opponent, please. Newcastle. Newcastle United is correct. So, Tom, for the win, overall 2 all going into the very last question, I need the season in which the game took place from you, please. I think I know it, this one. I think 2005-2006. Um, 2005-2006. James Jones does not look happy and he's got every reason to look concerned because Tom Edwards, that is correct. 2005, 2006, December 2005. In fact, West Ham United to Newcastle for that was in the FA Cup final season. But I always remember that Michael Owen didn't do a great deal for Newcastle, did he? Never seemed too happy there. But as always in football, anyone who's having a bad time at another club. Their fortunes will always turn around against West Ham. Yeah, he bagged the hat trick. Remember sitting there in the East Stand, and he just looked like he wasn't even that good. Yeah, they weren't like classic Michael Owen goals. I just remember him sniffing around the edge of the penalty area. Um, yeah, just banging them in. None of them were that pretty. They're all very, very annoying stuff. I don't even know, lads, why that game popped in my head. Were you both at that one? I think I was. At I that was one. there. Yeah. I Tom, think I was there, Tom yeah. went. Tom, did you? Was that your fifth birthday party you had there? I think five and a half. We celebrated <laughs> one that year, but um, no, I remember it vividly. I just remember um, him grabbing the ball and clapping the Newcastle fans because I sat where the dugouts were and they walked in. And I just as I was leaving, he was walking back in with the ball, and I just have a, one of them vivid ones you have a memory of because it's quite a big moment in Premier League for him, I guess. It's the sort of the last good thing he did. So yeah, I remember it quite clearly that one. Good game. Yeah, though. you got. You got it quite quickly from the scoreline. I can't say I would have remembered that. But Josie, were you you in that one? I, I can't remember. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was there, but nothing. I remember the game, um, sort of you know the scoreline and the fact Michael Owen scored a hat trick. Um, I probably would have been there, um, but I don't remember much of being there. But I probably would have been because um, as Fair everyone enough. knows, I, I go to all the home games and not the away games. So. Um, yeah, unless you're playing rugby, wouldn't it? What's... <laughs> unless I'm playing rugby or, yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, fair play. I'd retire well, look, by then. That was a, uh, a big win there for Tom, but some big important points for you, Josie, grabbing Marlon Harewood somewhat out of the blue. Well played. That puts the overall scores. Tom is five points ahead of the next uh, place, which is me and James, actually. Uh, I'm on 30. Jonesy moves up to 30 points. Overall, Tom goes out in front on 35 and Tom with another opportunity next week to earn some points back. James, you are quiz master for the next week. So it looks like you might be rooted back to that bottom. Hopefully I get a point. Tom done me 5-1 last time when we went head to head. So fingers crossed for a better performance from me. But lads, that's nearly it. We've got the one last segment, the West Ham women. It will only be a brief one because there's been no games in the week, but we've got that next. So name that game there, another commanding victory. Not as commanding this time, just a victory for Tom Edwards. Nothing, No shame in losing 3-2 to Tom Edwards when he's in the form he's in from James Jones there. But things are a little bit more spread out 
in that, that leaderboard of ours in name that game. But Jonesy's in the hot seat next week. So one to look forward to. Lads, the West Ham women, nothing has really happened uh, in since we last spoke. Obviously, some of the girls away on international duty. The girls still 11th in the WSL, just two points off bottom place. Bristol City, uh, they lost 1-0 away to Brighton on the 10th of February, which was the girls' last game. Another disappointing defeat and they've got Chelsea at home on Sunday 3pm kickoff Sunday the 7th of March that is so uh, we've got another weekend off this week but uh, lads just one thing to note on the the West Ham women Martha Thomas was off on international duty with Scotland and she scored twice as Scotland beat Cyprus away 10-0 she was uh, and the goals were spread as well between seven players which was was quite impressive but two goals from Martha Hope give her a bit of of confidence but 10-0 is is quite some result but Josie again another another couple of weeks off I know we have conversations like this a lot but it seems like we're scrappling around looking for some positives I was going to ask you then do you think the break's going to do them good but we've had different circumstances this season we've had some big breaks and thought it might do them good to get some time with the manager and and come back and and then the the results soon afterwards are, are just disappointing. We've had a, some where we've had runs of games as well, picked up some wins in the League Cup or the Conti Cup, as it was getting to the semi final that, and that didn't seem to help in the in the league either. I'm sort of running out of running out of options, are we, for positive things to grab onto? No, I think I think this this is a positive because. Um, you know, Oli Harder came in, um, as I understand it, his first game in charge was the defeat at home to Tottenham on the 17th of January. Uh, and they've not really had a, a, a prolonged period between fixtures between then and now. Um, I think that the longest they've had is is a week or 10 days. Um, so this one where it's, what, three or four weeks, three weeks between fixtures, um is actually could could actually be a positive in that you know it would give it would allow him actually sort of two or three weeks to actually sit there and work out exactly you know what system works best with what's with going wrong yeah what's going wrong um because he he's got he's got that that time to do it whereas before he's gone right okay what's going wrong well two days time i've got another game or three days time i've got another game so um yeah, this is a good opportunity. This is the best opportunity he's had, really, to really dissect it and, and work out what's gone wrong and how to put it right. Um, but then, how do you prepare for, particularly given the form that, that we're in, how do you prepare for a home game against Chelsea who are absolutely flying this season? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the problem is it's in the, one of those awkward awkward periods isn't it where you see where a team are down on their luck where sometimes you think you want to take the Allardyce approach and you think ah just just tighten it up at the back sit back because you're not scoring too many goals at the moment so try and get get your points that way Uh, but (laughs) it also appears that as we saw against Brighton that when we try and do that and we keep the 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 opposition down that we look even less potent in attack, that has been one of the problems. This well, again, it's such a cliche, but it's like it's double whammy, isn't it? We, we've both not looked good going forward, nor at, at the back either. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm you, fingers crossed, you've just got to hope, haven't you? Because there is, I think, the last few weeks, as we've seen, um, 
with the guests we've had on, Sandra Brovy from uh, The Sun, Isabel, of course, coming on, talking to us, Catherine Batt earlier in the season from the Daily Mail. All of them have, have tried to be a little bit sort of upbeat and positive, but the more recent conversations we've had among the three of us and uh, with with those guys as well, the, the mood is turning somewhat, isn't it? It went from, ah, don't worry, Bristol City are too, are too poor at the bottom of the league to... Mm, okay, yeah, Matt Beard's quite a good appointment. He seems to have had an immediate impact. Oli Harder doesn't seem to have changed much at all. Okay, yeah, there's that every every chance. And then you know, as the as the clock ticks on, the games tick on. It's still best part of of half a campaign left for the girls. Just under that, of course, and and anything can happen in that time. But when you're on a run of form like this, it does look that worrying, Tom, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's the thing. There may be half. After the season, ultimate girls are in a losing patch of form, and the longer this continues, the more they get dragged into it. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It was Adriana, Leon, and Martha Thomas, the only girls out on uh, international duty at the moment. Um, Adriana, Leon, obviously with Canada games against the USA and Brazil in the She Believes Cup and Argentina, uh, actually. So, yeah, I, it, worrying times, worrying times. But uh, I think we'll, we'll have a guest, Ella German, returning uh, guest, West Ham fan and sports journalist, WSL expert, who'll be returning to the show next week to have a look at that Chelsea game in a little bit more detail. But it is a bit of a worrying position for the girls at the moment. But just fingers crossed, as the boys have said, that uh, Oli Harder can get his head down and uh, sort out some of the problems that are plaguing the team at the moment. Well, that is basically it for the show, but stay with us because we'll have some final thoughts from the boys and a brief Fantasy Premier League update next. So that is basically it for another week. What a feeling at the moment. Absolutely brilliant stuff. A great win over Tottenham to put the team fourth in the Premier League. I mean, the other teams, of course, they're European exploits will start catching up with them. A lot of other teams around us having a lot more games on their hands, but we have just got one thing and one thing only to focus on. And that is that race for the Champions League spot. I do think, you know what, to be honest, while we're there, it's absolutely brilliant. We've got some tough games coming up, but if we finish in the Europa League spots after the season we had last year, that will be an absolutely heroic transformation from David Moyes. We'll go into that. I'll get some final thoughts from the lads in a minute. But James, just briefly, the uh, Fantasy Premier League, a quick update. We are just coming to the end of the game week with Leeds's uh, win over Southampton. Uh, so there might be an odd bonus point or two to pick up. But let me know what I think you are the current highest scorer for the week out of the three of us, aren't you? Yeah, I've, I've bagged 68 this week um, to continue my resurgence. I think that's my fifth week in a row with plus 60 points. Um, you've pulled in 65, lucky with 13 off the bench. Um, <laughs> lucky. Luckily. And uh, Tom, Tom's pulling in 60 at the moment, give or take one or two one or two bonus points. But um, I've closed the gap on you, mate. I think at one point you were 130 points ahead of me. Uh, and now it's around about 60, 60, 65. Too um, little, too late, mate, I think. Uh, no, you, you just wait and see, mate. You just wait. You've done see. a wild card. Uh, no, nope. and I still got, I still got too many chips left. So, um, just yeah. careful, yeah. careful. <laughs> uh, I've overtaken Tom again this week as well. So Tom's back at the bottom of the pile. 
Um, only by six points, but what what are the um, overalls my, you got? So you're on one five one eight. Uh, I'm on one double four nine, and Tom is one double four three. So it's getting tight between me and Tom. We're jostling, but we're catching you up, mate. <laughs> continued ding dong down the bottom uh, as always I mean if you if you haven't joined the We Are West Ham Fantasy League already uh, then I don't suppose you ever will but if you do want to and you're particularly late to it it's lowercase cny6 the letter OU uh, if you, that's the code for our league if you fancy it um, fill, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and all that sort of thing actually we'll do the housekeeping in a minute James first of all I get some final thoughts uh, from the boys after what's been another brilliant week for West Ham another brilliant podcast and it's just it's just happy days at the moment so uh, Jonesy I'll throw to you first just give me some some final thoughts on uh, on the last seven days especially that Tottenham game and especially tonight's podcast. Yeah, it's been a really good show. Um, it's funny what um, winning can do to to podcast, and it just it just seems really positive. I, I look back at that first couple of weeks, even those first couple of games after the, the initial lockdown, losing to what Wolves and Spurs, and it was like doom and gloom. And and here we are. Um, Wolves and Spurs. When was that? Uh, after the first lockdown, it was yeah, last right, season. Right. Oh, sorry, mate. But, right, I thought, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and we're doing we're doing podcasts straight after those games, and we're doom and gloom, and we're wondering what's going to be in the championship next year. And here we are, what six, seven, eight months later, and we're we're beat, just beating Tottenham to go into the top four, and and we're genuinely talking about Europe, you know, European football of some sort next year. It's all a little bit surreal, but all that continues. Some some difficult fixtures coming up, as you mentioned, um, but you know we've navigated those difficult runs pretty well over the course of the season and um yeah just just trying to get me a brand it all still but you know bring on city at the weekend and uh hopefully we can come away with something and yeah. by something i mean a, a defeat which isn't embarrassing like five or six if it's one or two i don't mind yeah, I thought I, I do must admit I do kind of feel similar to you at the moment. If, uh, <laughs> if took a 2-0 defeat, I'd uh well, if I was offered that right now, I'd, I'd snap your arm off for it. But Tom James is right there. Leeds at home, Man United away, Arsenal at home, Wolves away, Leicester at home are our next games. That takes us up to the 10th of April. So not an easy run, but I all the teams that we're up against will be thinking exactly the same going into the games against us, wouldn't they? So, you know, there's, there's definitely reason to be positive. But uh, it's been a good show again tonight. Great interview that me and you did on Monday with Tony Cotty as well. So uh, brilliant to have him. Great to have Steve Tudor as well. So thanks to both of those guys. Don't forget, you can uh, buy tickets for the virtual event with Tony Cotty and Frank McAvenny. Just head on over to at Tony Cotty nine for details. Uh, Tom, just some final thoughts from you before we say goodbye for another week. Yeah, first, uh, like a bit of an honour to you, Tony Cotty. That's the first time I've actually been lucky enough to do it myself. I was in Portugal sunning myself one time and another time I was at work. Yeah, a bit of a, a lip trap what a legend and I hope enjoys that but looking forward looking forward to the team and everything why not why I, I like we say we're playing one of the best teams in the world at the minute I can't see us winning that I'm saying draw out or open out of Chad's fill it at the seasons go out and bet on West Ham wins and probably so following that blindly but ultimately the games we have coming up it's effectively sort of in our hands 
like games in hands have been done now weirded in that spot with games around us we win towards those and we draw or lose a few is absolutely ours to then lose we come out the back of that with two or three wins and and it really is looking like a serious serious push for that continental spots and particularly top four so who knows god first 11 and if we have a bit more luck we can absolutely do it so come on down across absolutely mate wonderful stuff work for both of the lads there thanks to our guests like i mentioned tony cotty and steve tudor thanks to both of the lads for a wonderful podcast james jones and tom edwards do follow us on twitter at we are underscore west ham head on over to our youtube channel and subscribe the link to the channel is in the description to this podcast for that uh, extended interview with tony cotty and four as well as the show in full and some other bits and pieces that jonesy is putting up on there do subscribe to the podcast and the youtube channel give us a review five stars if you can say some nice words as well but that is it for this week four points off of tottenham this season that we thought the manuel lanzini goal earlier in the campaign was going to top it but a win on sunday 2-1 to go into the champions league spots not many games to go now it's a real possibility that west ham will be playing football again in europe next season and in front of fans after boris johnson virtually gave the country the green light to go back to normal after the end of june great time to be alive on that front great time to be a west ham fan manchester city away at the weekend it won't be easy but surely if ever there's a time we're going to do it then it is this weekend thanks very much for listening everyone keep the faith up the hammers and we'll see you next week Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.